Well, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Ephesians. We're going to continue on, finish wrapping up chapter 1 at this time today. Uh, as you well know, I'll, I'll be on vacation next week, and uh, Steve will be here to bring the Word of God to you, and I'll be uh, talking with him because we're rapidly approaching Easter this year. Easter happens quite early, and so I will be talking with him to see uh, how we need to sort of have some pastoral oversight uh, in the time of preaching. We may go into the Gospels uh, to prepare us for Easter, or we may continue in Ephesians, just seeing where he would eventually want to go, assuming everything goes as a plan, right? <laughs> I'm believing that. Okay, let us uh, read chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of Him, having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which He has called you, what are the riches of His glorious inheritance in the saints, And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And He put all things under His feet, and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Lord, we would ask your blessing upon this sacred text. We thank you that you have given it as a means of revelation so that we, the sheep of your pastor, might know our great and grand shepherd better that we might understand your purposes and your plan. And Lord, that we might understand the wonderful blessing we have in prayer. So Lord, we thank you for giving us this word. I ask that you would help me to speak it. And we invite you, Holy Spirit, uh, to open up the eyes of our hearts so that we might know you better. And we ask that all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, uh, I know we have a few visitors here this morning, and if you're just joining us, like I said a minute ago, I've been preaching through the book of Ephesians. Uh, past three weeks, we spent looking at the first sentence, and we looked at the roles of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In verses 3 through 14, we get their roles in salvation, how the Father chooses to adopt wayward souls from before creation through Christ. We saw uh, in verse 5 and 6, and through the middle of that section, how the Son redeems who the Father predestines through His work on the cross by shedding His blood for the forgiveness of our trespasses. And then last week we looked at, in verses 13 and 14, the work of the Holy Spirit who seals us, His children, for the day of redemption, assuring us by His deposit in our lives that we are God. It is abundantly clear uh, in these, this opening sentence of the book of Ephesians that God is thoroughly in control of salvation. He is sovereignly at work. 
He is as our confession states, He foreordains whatever comes to pass. But now, Paul sort of shifts gears, doesn't he? He begins to pray. And one might beg the question, why does Paul pray? I mean, in other words, even why should we pray? If God is so ultimately in control and so sovereign and not a detail escapes from His midst and His plan has been at work since before creation even happened, why should you and I take time to pray? I mean, what difference does it really make? That is often a question I hear sometimes when we talk about uh, God's sovereignty. As I work in the dorms with airmen, at times we've talked about God's election. I've been uh, 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 teaching them the book of Ephesians. We're a couple uh, uh, verses ahead of you all right now. And so the question has come to their mind. Are we a bunch of robots then? Do we just move along and don't have a will of our own? Well, I believe the answer to why we pray or why we do good works or why we read our Bibles is this, that it is a means in which God accomplishes His will. It's how God does His work. And so prayer is very important. It is as the Apostle James says, you do not have because you do not ask. In other words, He works through the very motives and desires that we have on our heart. He actually places them there. And we pray because God has changed our hearts. We have become His children. So now we have new affections and new desires in which we want to please Him. It's like any child. A child wants to please their father. And so it is both the motivation of love. We love because He first loved us. And it's the fact that it's the means of God in accomplishing His purpose, that we pray, that we want to talk, we want to commune with our dad, with our father. And that is very important. I like what one pastor said, if we do not pray, the good things for which we pray will not happen since it is through prayer that God will bring the blessing. So that brings us to a second question I I would guess, why is Paul praying here at this point in the book of Ephesians? Well, we can't ask Paul, can we? His day has come and went, and unless we have an elevator to heaven or some internet link to Paul right now, we can't really ask him that question, but we can put together some hypothesis, some understanding from the facts given what might be motivating Paul to pray. And what I would suggest to you is even though Paul wanted to teach on the sovereignty of God and and salvation and remind the church in Ephesus of these eternal truths, it's not only just important to tell people the facts and the truth of the gospel, you also have to enter in with them and be a pastor. And one of the greatest ways uh, this great missionary could minister to these folks is to pray for them. As a chaplain, or maybe you've done this often, email is a great treasure. Oftentimes in the military world, people fly at an abominable, or not abominable, just outrageous speed. They move. You probably move in your work environment. But I tell you, uh, it makes a difference when I or someone writes on an email a prayer out for you. It sort of slows you down. 
It captures your heart and tension because someone took the time to invest in you because they loved you, they cared for you, and they wanted to speak to God about you. You see, I believe Paul wanted to do this because he knew what was going on in the church in Ephesus. And like I've shared with you, there was a lot of challenges going on in Ephesus. Many of the letters of the New Testament we have write about the problems in Ephesus. Acts tells us some of the problems, some of the challenges that were going on there. We, we talked about the riot and how the people chanted for two hours, great as Artemis of the Ephesians. We talked about the spiritual warfare going on there and how there was much demonic possession. We talked about, too, probably the greater challenge within the church, which was all the doctrinal confusion. Just read First and Second Timothy. I sort of sped over them in preparation of this sermon. And again and again and again, Paul talks about the conflict that is going on with false teachers there. Can you imagine how challenging that would be? Caring about your friends, hoping them they're not led astray, hoping you're not led astray. Division, frustration, church splits. All these things were going on. The church in Ephesus was definitely an embattled church. And what often happens in warfare, what they're telling us right now with our troops downrange, is what we call battle fatigue. Battle fatigue means this. You start to question your very purposes in, in what you're doing and why you're doing it. Our troops have that a lot. Uh, they talk to us chaplains about it. Why are we continuing to do this? I'm tired of this. I've lost my family because of this. And all those factors start to weigh on a soul. I don't doubt the very things that the church in Ephesus were going through started to weigh on that church's soul. And I think Paul, like a well-seasoned pastor would, he needed to do two things in his letter to counsel the church. He needed to give them truth, but he also needed to give them a whole bunch of love. And he models that love to us in this prayer. So I want you to notice what does uh, Paul pray for. But before we do that, I got ahead of myself. Let's focus on what motivates Paul to pray. And I think there's a great lesson for us here. Verse 15, if you have your Bibles, please look, at the, look, with, look with me in this. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. So what motivates Paul to pray? Very succinctly, what the Heidelberg talked about today is gratitude. He is thankful for the folks in Ephesus. And specifically, he cites two things. One, he is thankful for their faith in Jesus. He's thankful for that. He acknowledges in a way even though he knows it's God who has produced it, he's thankful that they have hung in there trusting in God. Remember, this is the same church that burned up 50,000 drachmas in sorcery scrolls. One drachma was a day's wage. If you, add, if you said a drachma was $100, that would be $5 million in our day and time. That is not a small penny. And I'm sure they didn't have insurance back in those days to cover all this. They were burning up their treasure. 
And so when you consider someone who burns up their treasure so that they can follow Christ, that is humbling. We've heard stories, uh, there's a great story, I forget his name, of a millionaire who gave it all up to be a missionary in Egypt. Gave up all his wealth. You know, uh, Jesus talks about that. That we are called to give up all that we have in order to follow Him. Paul is thankful for their faith in Christ. But notice too, he says this, the love for the saints. A number of weeks ago when I was first talking about uh, the people in Ephesus and what marked true of them, one of the things we saw in there was their love for the saints. If you remember back in Acts 20 verse 1, after Paul leaves Ephesus, Luke describes their leaving like this. He says, after we had torn ourselves away from them. That's a ripping. They had only been there about two years. And yet he describes that intense relationship of when they left of tearing of a garment. It's not an easy thing. And so he applauds and he's very thankful for the Ephesians for their love for the saints. He also mentioned this, uh, Luke says, uh, when they uh, come back a third time to Ephesus and they meet the elders at the shore. And it, Luke says this, And when they had, uh, had heard these things or said these things, Paul knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and then they accompanied him to the ship. You see that love there? Now maybe it's just me, or maybe because I'm American, uh, I don't know what it is, but I don't think I've had that type of intimate relationship with some other person outside of maybe Amber or my kids where I just feel torn. I'm starting to feel some of that. I've just found out I'm going to be on a deployment coming up in July, and I'm starting to feel some of those things towards them. But someone outside my family, that's the deep fellowship and relationship Paul had with the church in Ephesus. And so he's thankful for that. So why is this important, and why is this in the Word of God? Well, I think we need to ask the question, what motivates you and I to pray? You know, often when we pray, we often pray for health issues or challenges in life. And that's very fine and good. Please hear me. We should pray for those things. Those are all very important. There's nothing wrong with that. But if I think we only focus on our health and our challenges, we're sort of putting a glass ceiling on our maturity in prayer of what motivates us. You see, Paul tells us his motivation for the church at Ephesus is based on gratitude because of their love for the saints and their faith in Jesus Christ. And I believe that's teaching us something. You see, it is to remind us in our prayers that we have to have a much more holistic motivation than just what's prodding us at that time. You see, Paul could have easily been motivated by their lack of faith or they've been struggling or not having accurate doctrine or resisting the devil. However, Paul is motivated by what has been true in the Ephesians. He looks at their life and says, you know, I remember you guys and that motivates me to pray because what I saw in you. 
And so when we pray for others, I think a good discipline, a good discipline I want to add to my life as I've looked at this text is looking at their lives and bringing it to mind and, 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 and using that motivation as a means of your prayer, as a means of empowering your prayer to care for those. Well, to whom does Paul pray? Well, obviously he prays to the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father. Now, some might ask the question, why doesn't he pray to the Son or to the Spirit? Surely they're divine. Is he saying they're not divine? Well, obviously that's not the truth. The Son lives to glorify the Father, and the Spirit lives to glorify both the Father and the Son. And it is quite clear throughout Scripture that all three persons of the Trinity are God. But both the Son and the Spirit love to intercede for you and I with groaning too deep for words. That is part of the uh, inward working of the Trinity. So what does Paul pray for? Well, in many ways, the Ephesians were still new believers. They were young in their faith. They were just getting to know Christ. Paul had known Jesus from now for many years. And what is true about most of us is we're far willing to trust those who we know none about and more trusting to those who we know much about. And so I think what we see here is Paul is inviting and praying for the Ephesians to know God. I mean, there's a number of specifics he does pray for here, but his big theme here is that the Ephesians would know, would grow in their knowledge of God. So why does Paul do that? Why is that so important to pray that someone might grow in their knowledge of God? Well, I think, first of all, because knowing God is knowing ultimate reality. There is no falsehood in God's being. There is no error in His ways. He is the perfect embodiment of truth and everything noble. It is in the knowledge of Him, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that we understand all things pertaining to life and godliness. And we are to know Him. God wants us to know Him. Listen to this passage. Paul writes, What if God, desiring to show His wrath and to make known His power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order, don't miss this church, to make known the riches of His glory for vessels of mercy which He has prepared beforehand for glory. You see, God wants us to know the riches of His glory. We who have been transformed by God's grace into children, saved from God's wrath, He wants us to know Him. And not only does He want us to know Him, He delights when we do know Him. Jeremiah writes, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom, let not the mighty man boast in his bite, and let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things. Parents, you know how it is when you delight in your kids and you see them doing something and you just get overjoyed by it? I believe that's the image here that Jeremiah is communicating to us about God the Father. You see, when you and I start to know Him and we respond to that, when He sees that, that is joyous, that is good, that is delightful to God. 
And just when we see our kid and we watch them go through life and we had instructed them on something and they don't do it or they go do it the right thing, what does that do for us as parents? It brings us great delight, great joy. We love that. And that is what I believe Paul wanted this church in Ephesus to know. Because you see, when they know God, they can sort of move through life in a different way, can't they? You know, Paul's not just talking about mere head knowledge. He's not just saying, know all your, uh, or dot all your I's and cross all your T's, or be able to quote it back to him. He's talking about internal knowledge, both head and heart, that they know this God. And, he, and how do we get to know him? Well, I'd say one of the clearest ways we get to know Him is constantly preaching the gospel to ourselves. Paul says in the book of Romans chapter 1, it is the power of salvation to those who believe is the gospel. And when you and I constantly hear the gospel in our life, that we've been saved by grace through faith, and it's a gift not of ourselves, it's a gift of God, that transforms us. It does something different into us. We, when we continue to sin and sin again, or we keep doing the same sin over and over and over, and yet we experience God's forgiveness over and over and over again, it does something in this old heart of hearts. It transforms us from the inside out, and it, it changes our affections. Because we want to know this God. We want to please this God who is so gracious and so good and so forgiving. We also realize when we hear this gospel that we know this gospel isn't cheap, is it? It came with a heavy cost. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. We were not redeemed, Peter said, with perishable things such as silver and gold. No, we were redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb unblemished, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. David writes, it is for for forgiveness of thee that thou hast feared. Those things move in us. And they help us to know this God as we remind ourselves of the gospel. And by doing this, we are transformed. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18, he says this, Beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. You know what's kind of cool through life after you get a few years, not that I have many, but... You go through life and God sometimes gives you little pauses where you can look back and see where you've come from. And you see how your knowledge of God has changed and it's grown. And that's a good thing. In fact, that's a very encouraging thing. And it helps us appreciate this God. So what Paul prays for is that God would give them a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Two different things here, and just want to point these out to you. Wisdom, I think, that Paul's talking about here, is that we know God through the seasons of life. It's sort of a learning of God as we go through life. We experience Him. We know who He is, what He does. It's through trials and blessings and different seasons we learn more about God. But that's not all of it, is it? You see, we need something to define that knowledge. It's not all left up to ourselves. No, we need something else, and that's revelation. And what he means by revelation is clearly this, the Word of God. 
The Word of God has been revealed to us. There's things in here you and I could never come to an understanding on our own. We need the Spirit of God to reveal them to us. We need to be taught those things. And so it's a combination of both wisdom going through life and the seasons of life and coming through that knowledge, but also it being defined and articulated and and having boundaries in that knowledge that this is true by Scripture. Because Scripture clarifies where we might be in error. So Paul then moves on to pray for three specific requests concerning the knowledge of God. And they are this. The hope of God's calling, the riches of our inheritance in Him, and the greatness of the power of God. Well, God, first thing Paul asks prayer for is the hope of God's calling. And what, why is he praying this? Well, I believe he's praying this because oftentimes, like I said, when you go through battle fatigue or might we say spiritual life fatigue, being a Christian, even some of the most seasoned saints can question their calling. It might be even a besetting sin that continues uh, to chafe at you, continues to nibble and bite at you. And for some reason, you just can't lick it. You've got to continue to fall on forgiveness. Paul prays that they might know the hope of God's calling. It's as Dr. James Montgomery Boyce said, God has called us to something and for something. And what I believe he's getting at here is that if we believe that God has called us to something, that he is calling us to something of eternal value, and that would be heaven, that sort of changes how we go through the different challenges of life. They're not weights on our shoulders, something that drags at us, some nagging thing that we just can't get rid of. No, we see this as this is part of the process until we get to our eternal home. We see this as it's something we must move through. A story is told of Philip Henry, the father of the great biblical commentator Matthew Henry. Philip had a young lady that he had fallen in love with, and they were deeply in love with each other. However, there was a problem. She belonged to a higher level of society than he did. And although she had become a Christian and regarded things differently, her parents saw the disparity in social status as an obstacle to their marriage. Her parents came to her and asked this, This man, Philip Henry, where has he come from? And to this question, the future Miss Henry gave a confident reply, I do not know where he has come from, but I know where he is going. And that is a good truth for us as Christians. You see, our worth in God's eyes is not how regal or how athletic or how charismatic or how rich our heritage is, but rather it's the sure fact that Jesus Christ saves and that we are going to our Father's home. That is the hope of our calling. And that's what gives us confidence to move through these challenges in life. It's what he, Paul wanted to get into this church of Ephesus. To get truth that God is sovereignly in control. But there is a sure hope in that calling. He says not only do you got to know it, but you got to know it. you got to know it down here. And you got to believe it. 
You know, it's a lot like playing sports. No one's a champion because someone dubs you a champion. You, you become a champion because you believe you're going to be a champion. It's, it's that determination, that trust that these things are true. And God's almighty grace will overcome it. It's as if Paul, or it is as Paul says, I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. That is the sure truth that we want to hope in, and that is the hope of God's calling that Paul prays for. Well, the next thing he prays for is the riches of his, our inheritance in him. Now, we might ask, what's the difference? What's the difference of knowing the hope of our calling and also the riches of our inheritance with them? Well, knowing the hope of our calling deals with the reality that one day we're going to heaven. The riches of our inheritance in Christ talk about all the uh, bounty and all the blessings and all the treasures we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's this treasure that He has given us. It's what He said at the beginning of Uh, Chapter 1, verse 3. Look with me in your text. He said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. There's not one thing, one inheritance that, 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 that God held back for Himself. He gave us all things in Christ. You see, it when you and I see that we are rich, we can live in great poverty. It is when we see we have true health... We can live with great sickness. It is when we see we have ultimate companionship, companionship that will never leave us nor forsake us, we can face aloneness here. It is in these treasures found in Christ that we can live on this side of eternity for His glory. It is, as Dr. Boyce said, those citizens who realize the treasures of heaven that are theirs, it is those that make the greatest difference on earth. That is the riches of the inheritance Paul wanted this church to hear. And then lastly, the one he probably spends the most time on, it is the greatness of the power of God. Why would Paul conclude with that? Well, he just talked about a couple of head and hope things. Know how great your treasure is and know the hope that you have. Those are great, but I need power here and now. How am I going to move through this life? How am I going to face my neighbor who is, who is into sorcery? And I know is praying against me, says the church in Ephesus. How do I know about these uh, uh, lords in our land who are the great people who made all these statues of the god of Artemis who are definitely against us and definitely making life hard? How do I make it through this? Well, Paul says, I pray that you might know the greatness of the power of God. You see, I believe this often happens to us in Christians, or as Christians. We go through life, and God sort of brings us to a point that we realize we need something outside of ourselves to get through it. I had a season like this many years ago when I was on the uh, uh, campus minister with Campus Crusade. Uh, it was my third semester there. It was one of those semesters where you sort of look forward and you have great hope, great anticipation. I had a number of guys coming back from Bible study. Everything was looking great. This was the year our ministry was going to take off. Well, that uh, uh, fall, we decided to have a staff retreat. And you might not believe this, but I actually got up on skis behind a a motorboat. And while I was going along, uh, 
I was starting to get tired, and I told my friend, you know, I better come down from these skis. And my friend said, hey, let's go one more time so we can get back around. I'll pull you a little bit farther. And, of course, being a guy, what does a guy say? Okay, I can do this, right? Well, I got up on those skis, and, you know, as guys do, we want to go over the wake. There's a couple girls in the back of the boat. Got motivated that way, too. And I went over the wake, and my skis did something like this. Skis are not designed to go like that. More importantly, maybe skis aren't, but my knees aren't designed to go like that. And I hit the water, and I literally thought I had broke my leg. By God's grace, somehow I did not break my leg. I, I, I severely sprained my knee and both my ankles. One was far worse off than the other. If you've ever been to University of South Carolina, uh, it's in what's called the Midlands of the state of South Carolina. So that means there's hills, and there's hills all over the campus. And being a campus minister, you've got to walk around a bunch. You ask Parker about that. That's just part of ministry. And so here I am on crutches, and I am mad. I'll be honest, I was mad. Why, God? I, I, I can't do this. You, God, this is the most critical time of the semester. You know that. <laughs> right? You ever said that to God? You know that. And, 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 you know, God was very clear. Yes, I do know that. And I got to a point finally, Lord, I need power to get through this. I don't know how. And it's one of those points in life, and I'm sure you've had them as well, you sort of got to give it to God. There's nothing more you can do about it. You just got to give it to the Lord. And by God's grace, He gave me power, power which I did not have. Somehow, some way, my knees and my ankle in about seven, about a week to ten days were good to go. It was absolutely unbelievable how quick I healed. And I was back around meeting with guys, chasing them down the dorms, you know, sharing the gospel to those who were open, and God blessed. I think sometimes God allows us, just like the church in Ephesus, to sort of get to that breaking point. We just want to throw up our hands and say, that's it. I'm done. I'm through. And I think when God gets us to that point, that's when He wants to show us what it says in here. Look with me in your text. Verse 19. And what is the immeasurable greatness of His power towards us who believe? According to the working of His great might, that He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. You see, what what we have in each of us, what Paul is telling the church at Ephesus and what he would be telling us, church, is we have resurrection power in us. Power to overcome death. Now, we often believe when we die we're going to heaven... But oftentimes we as Christians forget we have that same power within us while we live to accomplish the things He has called us to do. And sometimes we need reminding of that. I'm sure there was many months ago when the search committee had over 50 to 100 names stockpiling on their desk. Who is the man? And they cried out to God and they got on their knees and said, Lord, we need help. And they got so overwhelmed, they had to say, we can't keep getting more applications. we got to trust you, God, that somewhere He's in this stack. And if He's not in this stack, you'll bring Him here. 
And God did do that, didn't He? Or is doing that. That's the power God wants us to trust in. And it's a great reminder to us, church, that He is the head over all things to the church. And so I don't know what you're going through today or what challenges you're facing, but that is the knowledge of God that God wants us to know about Him, that we have a hope, a future hope of His calling, that we have riches of our inheritance in Him, and lastly, the greatness of His power. He wants you and I to know that. No matter if we're a housewife and we have children or diapers to clean or we're doing some job where no way blinks an eye and notices what we do or we're getting up in age and our body is giving way, He wants us to know those things because they all apply to any season of life. That is the good truth of this passage and one I hope to apply to my life as I hope He does to yours. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for... Um, this word. And Lord, I thank you for the fresh things you're teaching me in your word. Lord, I pray that you would teach us how to pray. We've seen a great model here by Paul. But more than just prayer, we pray that we would know you. Because when we do know you, we will pray. We will pray. Lord, I pray uh, that you would comfort those hearts who are here. I'm so thankful that you are the true shepherd and you know how to take care of each of these sheep. You know them each so intimately. You know the number of hairs on their head. You know their beginning and their end. So, Father, I ask that you would produce those sure things, whatever those might be in their lives, to help them accomplish your glory, to live for your good works, and to live ultimately to the praise of your glorious grace. Lord, we commit this word to you, and we look forward to how you will bring it to fruit and fruition in our lives. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.